Welcome to another very special edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series. During this episode, we had the honor of interviewing legendary jazz drummer Jimmy Cobb. Over the course of an open conversation about his life, being the last surviving member of the famed Kind of Blue Session, one of the best jazz records ever recorded with the great Miles Davis, Jimmy talked about that particular recording day and what Miles taught him over the years. In addition to that, he reflected on a long, winding jazz career that has taken him all over the world and on countless stages with the best in jazz. He also talks about his latest album, which is getting rave reviews, and what is next in his legendary career. Dig it, my friends. Yeah, Mr. Cobb. Hey, how are you? Hey, hey, good. How are you? I'm fine. Wonderful. Thank you for taking your time out to talk with us. We're uh, Neon Jazz out of Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. First thing I want to ask, the original Mob is a wonderful album. How's, th- how's that doing for you these days? Uh, we just made another one uh, for Smoke, Smoke Records, and uh, it was uh, number one on the charts for a few days. Wonderful. Let me ask you a question. Um, let me go back in time a little bit. Tell me what your first jazz experience was like when you climbed on stage for the first time. What was that like? Uh, well, it was uh, very exciting because I was a young boy, you know. And, uh, well, what, what really happened, I think the really first experience I had was like in my grandfather's uh, tobacco barn. They had, uh, my mother was born like 30 miles south of uh, Washington, D.C., in a place called La Plata, Maryland. Uh-huh. And she was raised up there, and uh, my grandfather raised tobacco, you know? Yeah. And uh, on Saturdays, they used to have, like, a, a baseball game for the, for the neighborhood, you know, and then they would uh, bring drinks and have, like, a hold down, if that's what you want to call it. Right on. And uh, so I played the first time, like, Maybe at my, my uh, grandfather's tobacco barn with a quartet with some guys from my school and, uh, and a tenor player that's from Washington, D.C. His name is Buck Hill. And that was like the first jazz gig I remember playing. And, uh, I think we made about $5 a person. Nice. How did it feel? What was it like to perform? Oh, it was great, you know. So it just let me know that's what I wanted to do all the rest of my life. Wonderful. So, yeah. how do you approach a gig today versus the way you approached a gig when you started out in the 1950s? What's your What's your mentality like these days? Well, I don't know. Try to get the best uh, best way to travel to get to it, and try to be in shape when you get there. And uh, you know, try to. Well, I don't know. I just lately it gets it gets harder, but. Uh, but, you know, while I was doing it in my, in my youth, it was uh, easy. It was just a thing. I got a gig, and I, I got, got up and went to it. Why did you choose the drums? Well, it's just something that grabbed me, I guess. I was in a neighborhood where there was a lot of music, you know, like it was uh, what they call uh, the ghetto. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, you can walk through the, to the ghetto and hear all kind of music. Yeah. So when you had church music and uh, on the radio, you could get some body music. You know, there was, there was blues guys around, and then uh, I happened to come up right at the end of swing in the beginning of bebop. You know, that's when I was got interested in playing. So uh, there was a lot of music going around. Yeah. Changing, you know. Absolutely. They were, they were 
there were a lot of big bands, like uh, there was about 30 big bands next to the end. And, uh, you know, so it was lots of music. music. Absolutely. And people, you know, that's what people did. They worked nine to five, came home, and uh, on the weekend they would get, get their little refreshments and have parties. Yeah. And, you know, and do things. Uh, that, that was the whole system at the time. So, what did you like to teach those around you when, when you played music? What was it that you wanted to give to the people that you performed with? Uh, well, I just wanted to, uh, to feel good. I wanted to, uh, to make, the, make the music sound as good as I, I, my part could be, you know. And uh, I wanted the people that I played with to be happy about, about me being there. Right on. So speaking of teaching, you performed quite a bit with Miles Davis. What did he teach you about life and music over the years? Well, I don't know. Miles is, uh, he was a very peculiar guy. He was okay. It was okay because, uh, you know, we were just okay. And uh, he taught me, you know, to, to uh, I don't know, be on time and, uh, you know, play with Play with good musicians and you know uh, a lot of good things, man. I can't really think of specifically what they are right this moment, but uh, I got a few lessons from him. You know, he was uh, he kind of brought me out in the in the spotlight, so I could appreciate that for him. And uh, and uh, you know, like that. Right on. What What about someone like Dizzy that was so hardcore and something like a, a new trend like bebop? What was it like to perform with someone that was really on the cutting edge of a new way of making music? Well, it was good. Dizzy was a good good man. I mean, I used to live in a building where Dizzy and his wife lived, you know, in uh, El Ghana and uh, Nida, Washington, and all those folks lived, lived in the same building, you know. So I got to know him, know him before. Uh, I had an opportunity to play in a small band, you know. Yeah. So I had met him through down in Washington uh, way before that happened. Right on. So uh, he was a nice guy, you know, like uh, I never had any problems with him. So over the years, you've played with a lot of people. Who is it that you really look forward to getting that phone call from and gigging with? Well, you mean now, then, or when? Well, any time. Anybody that would, would want you to perform with them, who, who did you really look forward to playing with? Well, the, uh, at the time, I was the best, best jazz band in the land, in the country, in yeah. the world, I think. And uh, everybody that played an instrument wanted to be in Miles' band, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was a you know, priority thing to get into Miles' band. So when you have Miles called you up and ask for the band, that's you to come in this band. That's uh, said. Yeah. You know, so I can I can probably say that that. Well, it's, it's a couple other things. Some things that happened before that. When I first left uh, Washington uh, D.C., I left with a uh, band called Aerobotic, and I I was on tour with Aerobotic band down in Washington trio. You know, so that was a good thing. Yeah. And uh, the way I got that job is a friend of mine. His name is Peter Betts. For his last part of his year, he went and worked for about 22 years with uh, Ella Fitzgerald. And uh, he was uh, like from Port Chester, New York, and he used to come to my town and work. And we got to be friends down there, you know. So, like, one time he came to town, 
and say they need to determine what what I want to go out on the road with them, you know. So that was a that was a highlight too, because that's the first time going on the road. Sure. And then uh, another thing, I met uh, Julian Cannonball Adderley while I was on the road doing some of that, and we became friends. Him and his brother and his family. And uh, it's a lot of good things happened over my life, man. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, you know. Yeah. Good people. Absolutely. So speaking of good things happening in your life, do you ever just lean back and think, man, I was a part of Kind of Blue? Yeah, I think about it quite often because people keep asking me things about it, you know, saying how does it feel and uh, what would you be thinking that day? I think, man, it's 50-some years ago. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know what I was thinking yesterday, baby. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I get a lot of questions, you know, like uh, people think that you should know. You know, but I, I try my best to answer to my best to recall, you know, what it was like. You know, I don't know. I usually tell people when they ask me that, I just say, well, it was just to me, it was just another ordinary record date for Miles Davis, you know. Because most of the records that I heard that of Miles, I, I like most of them pretty good. Yeah. You know, so I just figure that day we had a, we had a great, a great record date. I mean, everybody played their they buzz off and like that, and the music was, was different. So I figured uh, we had something a little different going, you know, then, uh, then after it came out and they was playing it, played it pretty good on the radio and on the jukeboxes and stuff, I figured we had something good, but not good enough to last uh, as long as it has, you know. Yeah. Nobody, I don't think any, any one of us would have thought that that could happen. What it, what happened, that could happen, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Mr. Cobb, do you like being famous? Well, I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, pretty good. I like uh, people knowing, knowing who I am. And, uh, but uh, it's not that it's not that heavy a load. Nice. So, what's the nicest thing a fan has ever said to you? Uh... You make me feel good the way you play the drums. Right on. Hey, who's your favorite person in life? Person? Yeah. I don't know. It had to be my mother. <laughs> right on. So let me ask you this. In a life well spent in jazz, a jazz legend, you've been all over the place, you've made many people happy, has jazz made the world a better place? Yeah, it has in a lot of places. Yeah, in a lot of places because uh, it gets to a whole lot of remote places now that it, it never did before, you know. Yeah. And uh, people hear it and like it and it changes, changes the attitude about a lot, a lot of things, you know. Yeah. Like about other people and about other races and about other music, you know. Just a lot of things that, uh, that, that's plus of this music. So what makes you keep going year after year? You've had a long career. What keeps you inspired to move forward? Well, I can uh, say because I like to play, and uh, I like I'm, I'm enjoying that I'm I'm still here to play, you know. So like uh, that keeps me going, and uh, the bills. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So, so you've been a part of a lot of recording sessions. If you really just kind of close your eyes and think about the different sessions you've been involved with, what really conjures up really good memories? What session? What session? Well, I had a, 
matter of fact, I made a first record I made was with Earl Bostic, and it was called Flamingo, and it was a hit for him. And it was, a, I was the first time out on the road, the first record I made, so uh, that was a thrill. And then uh, a little later on, I made a record, a record with Donnie Washington called For Those Who Love, and I kind of like that pretty good because that, they had some, we had some good musicians playing on that, and uh, we had uh, some good arrangements by Quincy Jones when he was first getting started. Yeah. Writing, you know, writing. And uh, I kind of liked that record, you know, that was a, that was true for me. We made a couple of them after that. And uh, another one I made for, for Dinah, she made me the band leader, so uh, that was thrilling. You know, a lot of things that, you know, going like that. Miles Davis, of course. Yeah. And uh, then uh, my wife, uh, Elena, she uh, set up a date for us in, uh, in the 80s where we made a, a recorded a record and did a video too. And uh, that she had, uh, she, she was promoted, she had promoted, you know, I mean, and fixed up. So that, that did pretty good in, in some places. Yeah. And I was thrilled with that, and I, I was proud of her for doing it. Right on. So, uh, you know, things like that. So these days you teach quite a bit. Do you like the teaching or the playing better? Well, I don't know. I, I like being around, you know, some young guys, you know, trying to show them something. If they're enthusiastic about it, and I, could, I figure I could do something that would help them, you know. Yeah. I do it like that, you know. I, I don't teach beginners that much uh, as uh, some guys that's already been playing a little bit, so they can come and ask me what uh and play for me and ask me what I think about their playing and what I think they should do about it, you know, and things like that. So that's basically the way that goes, you know. Uh, I'll show them, might show them some things that they want to know that I do, you know, and things like that. You know, but I don't teach like, you know, really beginners like uh, children, the rudiments and all that stuff like they would do in school. Sure, sure. Different, different thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So in 2009, you became an NEA Jazz Master. What was an honor like that for you to get? Oh, wonderful. Surprising. And wonderful. You know, like a, a lot of... Yeah, a lot of people have gotten them up. Uh, and I, you know, I, I never thought about it that much. I thought, you know, I thought about it occasionally, but uh, uh, I hadn't thought about it that much. But when it came up, it was really uh, surprising, and I, I was really thrilled about it. Right on. So, in a, in a legendary career that you've had, what is left for you to accomplish and do? Uh, well, I don't know, just trying to stay uh, healthy enough to play, you know, until I uh, can't play no more, and uh and like that, and just try to be able to to maintain. Right on. That's, that's basically, you know, the bottom line. So let me ask you quick, quickly here. Uh, we're from Kansas City. Do you have any memories of gigs here in Kansas City? Gigs in Kansas City? No, not that many memories. I just remember being there once with uh, Javon Jackson. We had a gig there. I don't even remember where we worked, worked but... Uh, I remember, remember going to the Charlie Parker Museum, you know what that is? Yeah. Yeah, so we, the guy that was uh, like a, uh, a worry for us, 
he went up there one day while and uh and checked it out and he came back and said y'all have to go you know to the telephone with him so that night uh he, he went back with me and uh and uh our piano player you know and he went upstairs and there was three old guys up there playing bird feathers nice <laughs> <laughs> It was definitely, and them guys was older, the thing was older than me, but, uh, you know, they were still into Charlie Parker music, you know. Yeah. So when they came, I remember, just because we all could laugh about it. Yeah. yeah he, he come in and asked our piano when I said, oh, can you play, uh, ask him about, you know, some chord? He said, yeah, I can do that. So he went over and sat down at the piano. He's a great piano player, you know, and he started to play things. And he looked up and said, that boy's a genius. <laughs> 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 so I said, I remember that all the time. We always talk about that, you know. Right on. So, you look back on a session like Kind of Blue and see how jazz has changed over the years. What do you think jazz is going to sound like, say, a hundred years from today? I have no idea, but uh, I can't see it being, uh, I can't see what else the it's going to be, you know, because of what they have here already, I can't see it getting much better than that. Yeah. You know, so I can't see the music change futuristic unless it gets into some electronic stuff, you know, that kind of change, you know, but I don't think the the real the real thing of the music is going to be what it, probably what it is now, you know, that change. That's the only shape I can see it changing is probably electronically or something like that. Yeah. Or some other, some other thing like that, you know. Yeah. Let me ask you this. How do you want the world to remember you? Uh, well, it was a guy that was here, you know, learned what he was doing, and uh, you know, he tried to contribute something and make it a little, a little better. And uh, left his mark, and it was a good one, and, uh, and like that. Beautiful. Mr. Cobb, thank you for your time, and thank you for all the beautiful music you've given to the world. Okay, thank you, Joseph. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for listening and tuning into a very special Neon Jazz interview session, where we give you a bit of insight into the legends that have given us all that jazz. And thanks to the legendary Jimmy Cobb for his time and candor. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or for all things Neon Jazz, visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.